What God is looking for, I, I think what draws God is the desire we have for him. You know, thirst, thirst. Um, I, I want to read from Isaiah 55. I already warned the people last service that I'm not following my notes. Come everyone who thirsts. Come everyone who thirsts. This is the invitation from God. In Hebrew, that first word, which the King James translates ho, but ho, like, what does that mean? Um, it, ho, 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 Santa Claus, other things I won't go into that it could mean, but it's, it translates the Hebrew word oi, which is a cry. It's like, it, it gets translated in the New Testament as woe, oh. It's like tragic. It's the compassion of God, oi. Everyone who, why would it, it's tragic if there's an endless river that can quench your thirst and you're thirsty and you don't know about it. So come, everyone who thirsts, thirst is one of those sensations of need. And I have to say this, that for the last, I don't know how long, month, two months, it's been getting really intense. Uh, at times, not, I can't, but I, I go to pray and I just weep and I weep and weep and weep and I don't know why I'm weeping and I'll watch a little video testimony and I weep and weep and <laughs> pray and weep and then sometimes I'm hard-hearted and selfish and, you know, just, but not too often, okay, just to clear that up. But I mean, it's like, it's taking me somewhere. And I don't feel like I'm there yet. I'm still thirsty for more, more. So come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat. So you don't have to pay for it. It's already paid for. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Delight yourself in rich food. Don't, don't consume, don't be consumed by those things that are not life-giving. And uh, anyway, this, this is all through scripture, God's invitation to the thirsty. If you're thirsty, if you feel like, yeah, thirst can be pretty urgent. When I was probably about 19, I decided, maybe I was 20, I don't know, I was going to leave Berkeley and go back to the mountains where maybe there was hope at finding normalcy. And, uh, and so I, I didn't have a job plan, but I heard about a guy that was hiring people out in the woods. All you had to do was walk around with a chainsaw, cut down little trees. They were thinning out places where there had been forest fires or Trees had been planted 20 years earlier. So um, I had to show up at four o'clock and I got a ride and the guy, the boss, Johnny Lepetich, who I'm sure has gone on to his reward. I'm not sure what that is, but the, uh, uh, he said, I don't, I don't have anybody. I said, well, can I just come along then? Just, I'll just watch, I love. So I, I ended up riding in the front with him and talking about trees. So I had studied trees. 
And so finally, he drops me off at this place where the crew wasn't going to work. He says, well, see what you can do here. He says, I got one extra chainsaw. So he pulls it out of the toolbox and gives it to me, gives me some gas mixed with oil and says, just, you know, every 30 feet, leave a tree or whatever the, the measurement was, and I'll, I'll be back. That was like 8.30 in the morning at 3.30 in the hot sun breathing dust. These logging trucks would go by and these big clouds of powder dry dust would come and get in my mouth, my eyes, my nose. And there was no water. He didn't leave me any water. And so I was really thirsty. I was so thirsty, I was tempted to drink the gasoline. But I knew enough. <laughs> like that'll only make it worse. And so, but I, I mean, I, maybe I could have died. I didn't, thank God. And uh, when they finally came and got me, there was a little bit of warm water left in a one-gallon Clorox jug that they'd, and it had a lot of Clorox in it, but I drank every drop of it and belched all the way into town, which took another half hour. But it's like thirst can drive you insane. Thirst can cause you to consider doing things that you know would be harmful. And God says, if you're thirsty, come. If you're in that place where you just know, I, I'm, I'm eating things, I'm drinking things, I'm consuming things that are harmful to me because I'm so empty, I'm so, I feel this, you were not created to be empty, you were created to be filled with God's presence, with the goodness of life, anyway. So uh, it's interesting, uh, a few, you know, uh, about a, a year and a half, maybe it was less than that, nine months, 10 months later, within a year, Ann and I were going to these Jesus people meetings, and, and we weren't believers, but we just went there because of, I had a false belief in karma, you know, some Christians had helped me, so I wanted to put $2 in the offering. They didn't have an offering, but there in the, the worship, we began to sense that river that we were so thirsty for, that we didn't know what it was. And one of the, one of the songs that they sang was a scripture chorus from Isaiah 5, verses 6 and 7. It was in King James, seek the Lord while he may be found. It was seek he. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. I want to say we're in a time when he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. He's near. So I think that's why if you've been praying, you've been seeking, and you just find like, God, I don't, I don't know what to say. It's because he's near. And he's not far away, and you're not giving a, him a speech on what you'd like to have or what your rights are, or entitlements or blessings. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Do you understand the word Lord there is Yahweh, Yahweh, the, the one who exists, like, like who had no beginning and no end. All things exist because of him. By his will, all things are created for his pleasure. <laughs> so seek him while he may be found, call upon him while he's near. He may be found, we're in a time where he's being found. There's this outpouring in these college campuses that has no superstar, no, it's just Jesus. 
Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Unrighteous, meaning not measuring up to the standards of God's goodness and love and loyalty and faithfulness. Wicked, meaning not measuring up to the goodness of God. The purity, the holiness, the, the tov, ah, tovah of God. The unrighteous man of thoughts, let him return to the Lord that he may have mercy or compassion on him and to our God. And here's the promise, for he will abundantly pardon. It's like everything we've done wrong, he will blot out because of his mercy. He will, when we come to him and we turn from our our selfish, self-indulgent, self-destructive, self-aggrandizing, whatever the self thing is, we turn to him. He gives us a new heart and new mind. He makes us a new creation. He rewrites our DNA. And we're still surrounded in the same messed up world. And so it's the, the old programming is still, you know, it's, it's out there seeing if it could download some updates to your software or your hardware. And it's just saying, God has made you new creation. And then the amazing thing is when we have encounters with him in his word, it's like living encounters with God himself. He rewrites, 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 updates our our understanding for the situation he's in. That's why it says, James says, if you lack wisdom, ask God who will give it to you generously. He won't, he won't give you a hard time because you're saying, I don't know what to do. He goes, I know. Ask me for wisdom. I'll give it to you. I'll help you navigate 2023, 2024, 2029. Not till you get to 2029, but isn't that amazing? Thank you, Lord. God, we just pray you would send light, that you would, that you would give us food and drink that fills us with life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, that was a long introduction. Here's the short message. <laughs> How does God do this? You know, this is called, I have a title, Chaos and God's Love. The Bible starts in chaos. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. And the earth was a big mess without form and void. And there was darkness over the face of the deep. There was chaos there. And then it changes and he begins to speak. He sends his word. The unfolding of his word brings light. Let there be light. And light begins to bring distinction and order out of the chaos. And some of us, you know, we're being drowning in the cultural chaos around us, drowning in things that, you know, 50 years ago were unthinkable, 10, 20 years ago were unthinkable. Actually, they weren't totally unthinkable because some people had written them in books already, like we need to do this, we need to do that, we need to destroy the existing structures. And so, so we have these, 
these, this blurring of categories. See, as soon as there became light, Genesis 1, God made a creation and he made distinctions. He separated the light from the darkness. He called the light day, called the darkness night. <laughs> the morning, the evening and the morning were the first day. You know, he saw the light he had made. He said, it's good. And so this is, you know, what light brings, it begins to bring order by bringing distinction. And what's been happening in, not just here, but in culture around the world at this point, it's like a global assault on, on the most basic categories, you know? And so he goes on every time he speaks, it, 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 you know, he separates the waters below from the waters above and from the, the open space in between is called sky. And the, uh, he, he separates water from dry ground and then he makes what's appropriate living organisms to fill and inhabit this space that he made on the earth. Hallelujah. And then at the end, he creates his image. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Let us create the human being mankind in our own image. And so he created them and let them have dominion. Let them be my agent, my representative in the, on the earth that they can shape it and bring out its full potential. That's what dominion means. It doesn't mean destroy it. It means bring it to its fullness. And he made them male and female, most basic distinction in not just humans, but any living creature, you know, except for a few slugs and you know, lower beings that don't have sexual categories, but we do, and all mammals do, that I know of. Maybe there's some, you can come and correct me that maybe a duckbill platypus doesn't or something like that, but it's like, this is basic, right? Like every farmer knows it. And, but recently it's become, you know, we have school teachers who don't know that when the children come into their classroom, whether they're boys or girls. And they need to expose them to pornography and talk to them about things that no one should talk to them about, period, at that age. But certainly any talk about it should be within the confines of parental supervision. But now the, I mean, this is horrible, isn't it? We have a Supreme Court justice who could not answer the question, what is a woman? And, it, and it's the, the tragedy is, it, that's, these are not anomalies. It's way more widespread than we imagine. What does this mean? It means distinctions have been blurred. Chaos is threatening order and ultimately hope and future and prosperity and, and everything good in life. And so it's like, this is important stuff. And so in the first chapter, we have God speaking creatively, bringing distinctions. Do you know what? I mean, this was what God told Jonah about Nineveh. They can't distinguish their right hand from their left hand, which in Middle Eastern culture was a huge distinction. Not just like, do you, you, know, do you bat left-handed or right-handed? Are you a southpaw pitcher or not? I mean, this was like the left hand was the bathroom hand and the right hand was the food hand. And so when he said they can't, they don't know, what it meant was their culture was degraded. Do you understand what the 
culture is seeking to produce, not your culture, but this is a good reason why we're starting the Sequoia Christian School. I mean, you know, and God bless all the other great Christian schools and may God, you know, and it's why parents are homeschooling and it's why private schools are blossoming and millions of kids are being taken out of public school system because, not, and I know many, there's awesome, great public school teachers, but the policies may or may not be bringing the distinctions. And so where does this come from? Hmm. You know, and anyway, and, and you know if you work for a corporation or you work for a, a large entity, that, that things that nobody would have ever thought about 10 years ago have now made you think like, I better not say what I think or I'll get fired. That means you're not free. That means you're being enslaved by a, by a system being put upon you. And now we even have this thing in, in corporate boardrooms under the guise of this company's gonna be rated for investment according to ESG, environmental, social, and governance standards. Who made the rules? Who said boys aren't boys and girls aren't girls? Who's doing this? This is coming out of darkness, not light. I'm telling you, you know, come on. So can we reverse it? Can we be free people? You see, if I'm not free to express myself, not in a mean way, an arrogant way, an angry way, but if I'm not free just to speak my opinion and have it stand, that, is, that means we're not living in a free country. We're already censored. We're already like having thought police uh, robbing our liberty like people who lived in East Germany you know, during the 1950s. Don't say this because the Stasi are everywhere watching and looking and they're gonna report you and you'll lose your job and your kids won't get into the best schools. Oh, help us. How many want to, are you thirsty for God to come and bring change? Not, and I'm not mad at anybody, I'm just saying, we've got chaos here, we need light. So in the beginning, we discover God comes into total chaos, speaks, and brings beautiful order. And in chapter two, there's a wedding. Come on. You know, it's, isn't that amazing? Matt, Matt Rudolph and I were talking about this. I was with Matt and spent some time with the greenhouse, which is great. What a, a great thing to be training these young people. But how the first two chapters of Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, you have creation and then you have a bride and a groom, are mirrored in the last two chapters of the entire Bible. In Revelation 21 22, Revelation 22 says, and new Jerusalem is coming down from heaven prepared as a bride for the bridegroom. Revelation 19, hallelujah for the Lord, you know, the, the, the wedding feast of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. Gendered language here, on purpose, because this is God's heart. So at the, at the end, there's a new creation. Genesis 22, one starts out, and I beheld a new heaven and a new earth. Do you see what, it's like, okay, there it is in Genesis here it is in Revelation. Did I say Genesis 22? I meant Revelation 22, just in case, and I don't have time to go back. But, but isn't it, so this is like God's got this. But we're in the messy middle. We're in the, like, man, it, this could be the end of liberty as we know it within one generation. 
unless we're active, unless we, unless God moves, not, I mean, we can be as politically active as we want, we can do all these things, but we also must have a moving of the Holy Spirit. There has to be a moving of the Holy Spirit because this is the only thing that will bring light and recreate just categories that reflect the heart of God. Ho, everyone that thirsts, come to the waters. So here's what's really amazing to me. Revelation 21.1, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth that passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw that holy city, New Jerusalem, prepared, coming down from heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now this is, and then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, which is, isn't that amazing? That the creator of all things wants to dwell with human beings. So turn with me to John chapter one and we'll see this pattern again. John chapter one. In the beginning was the word. This is the Greek word logos and it was a a very important uh, like philosophical concept um, in Greek philosophy. And John is taking this because he's writing it in what today would be modern Ephesus, which is Turkey, but it was Greek in its culture and thinking and philosophy and lifestyle. It still is very much along the, that coast of, of Turkey. But the, uh, and so he takes this word and he says, in the beginning was the logos, the logic of God, the proportionality of God, the order of God, the beauty, the brilliance of God. And the word was with God and the word was God. And he settles the issue there that, that God in reality is not like just a cosmic force. God is, a, is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And we'll, we'll discover that even within the first chapter of John. The word was, was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now here's what's so amazing, verse three. All things were made through him. In other words, he created all things. This is why in Revelation he can say, behold, I am the alpha and the omega. I am the beginning and the end. I am the bright morning star. I am the root of David. He can call himself all these things because out of his mouth you exist. Now this is really stunning and you think, I want to know this God. And uh, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. There, there's like this, this awareness of humanity that is particular to humans. Gorillas don't have it. Gray whales don't have it. Kangaroos don't have it. And orangutans don't have it. Okay, but humans all have it. This is the light. Oh, Jesus, help us. Okay, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, creating order, distinction, and the darkness has not and cannot overcome it. It can't comprehend it. It can't wrap it. And, and why does he use these terms, light and darkness? Because they're familiar to us in daily life. You can walk into a cave and light a match, and you can see. The darkness doesn't fight that light. It cannot it might not be very much light, but it cannot extinguish the light because it, the darkness is an absence of light. Darkness can't stop it. Verse nine, the true light which gives light to everyone, every human, was coming into the world. 
He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world didn't know him. This is so amazing. I mean, this is the nativity story. This is baby Jesus in the cradle. This is Mary encountering, saying, let it be unto me according to your word. And all of that is wrapped up in this little sentence. The world, he was in the world and the world didn't know him. He wasn't aware of it. Isn't that stunning that God has already has solutions for problems that are intractable and deep, darkness that has no bottom and seems totally fixed and, we, and you want to give up hope, God is already in the world with the solution. Thank you. Otherwise, we lose hope. And we can't live as those who need no hope. We need hope. Okay. So, um, verse 11, he came to his own. His own people didn't receive him because he wasn't the kind of Messiah they were looking for. But to all who did receive him, and here's the promise to all of us of all ages, of all ethnicities and backgrounds, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, that he gives us faith in his name. We were singing <laughs> Jesus. There's, I mean, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We were singing Jesus for 10 minutes this morning. What is it about that name? At that name, it's the name above every name. At that name, every knee will bow, every tongue confess, because the God who created heaven and earth did not in radical, outrageous humility and love that's beyond any human capacity Though he existed in the form of God, he didn't think he had to hang on to it, so he emptied himself and humbled himself and was, became human. And then he was a servant, and that he wasn't a ruler, he was a servant. <laughs> and he was obedient, even to death, even death on the cross, the most humiliating, painful, torturous way to possibly die. And he destroyed death. And then Philippians 2 goes on and says, wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, Jesus Christ, Jesus the Christ, Jesus Christ is Lord, is Yahweh, is Adonai, is all that men worship, he is it all because in him all things are held together, in him all things exist. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess, above the, in the heavens, in the earth, under the earth, in the sea, under the sea, from all ages. Doesn't matter who they were, what kind of life they lived, we will all bow our knee. And some of us will bow our knee and be overwhelmed with worship, adoration, gratitude, thanksgiving, and others will bow their knee in fear and terror, realizing I rejected you my whole life, I mocked you, I, I made fun of you, I said you didn't exist, that you were a fairy tale, and here I am in your presence, trembling. And we'll all be resurrected, some to the resurrection of life and some to the resurrection of judgment. And so it's like, we need Jesus. We need Jesus. And if you haven't settled it, you can, I mean, if God, if, if your heart's pounding, if you're like feeling nervous, you should be. That's called the fear of the Lord. And he, he wants it to, to bring you to him. 
The amazing thing is we come to him, we lay down all the stuff that we're trying to hang on to that we can never hang on to. We give it to him, we tell him how bad we are. He already knows how bad we are and we're way worse than we think we are. <laughs> he knows the secret things that we've even kept secret from ourselves and he still loves us. And we come to him and say, here's my big mess. He said, okay, I'll speak into the darkness. Light will come, you'll be a new creature. The old is gone, is completely gone. Like, okay, well, that's about it. Um, that really is it. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. I mean, here's what's amazing is if we believe in him, he gives us the, he gives us the authority, the right, the power to become children of God. So here now, now all of a sudden, in this same chapter, we have God's image being created in human beings through being born again. Instead of just fiat, let us make man in our own image, and he made them male and female. He takes sons and daughters, children of darkness, and translates us into the kingdom of the son of his love and we become royal priesthood. We become a holy, we, be, we, we become a holy ethnos, a holy nation. We become a chosen race, a chosen generation. That's good critical race theory. What, what, what's your race? Chosen. Come on. I mean, it's like, can you believe it? He chose us, we didn't choose him. He didn't choose us because we were good, because we were promising, because we were pretty good, but we just weren't quite good enough. No, he chose us before the foundations of the world and all your days were written in his book, even all his bad days, all your bad days. So when you come to him, none of that's a surprise. He's been waiting for you. He's got an appointment with you to make you a new creation, give you a new life. And here's what's so stunning, is that the creator of the universe in chapter one, by the end of, he became flesh, he lived with us, they beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father. He was full of truth and grace, all of this. And he made God who no one can see made known, he told, Philip later, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen my father. But here's what's so amazing. By the end of this first chapter, John, the baptizer, who's different than John, who's writing the Gospel of John, okay? John, the baptizer, who's Jesus' cousin, says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So now we've gone from creator by him all things are created, without him nothing is created, to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that God himself became the sacrificial offering who would carry away the sin of the world. Qui tollis peccata mundi in Latin. This is, is this boggle your mind that the creator of the universe would become a lamb. Helpless, innocent, 
Shaba Kabake. And what's amazing, you get to, this is why in Revelation 5, when they're in heaven, they're worshiping, and, but the whole world is a big mess. And they ask the question, who's worthy to break the seals and open the scroll of how we get from this mess to what God has created? And John can't help it. He's weeping hysterically. Some of you have been weeping. You don't know why you're weeping. And the angel says, John, weep no more. And he looks and he sees a lamb, slaughtered lamb on a throne. He said, behold the lion of Judah, the root of David. He is worthy. He is worthy. For he's purchased out of every tribe and nation by his own blood, the redeemed. So now this is, this is just kind of interesting John chapter two, so we've gone from creator to sacrificial lamb. Chapter two, we have a wedding where they had run out of wine. Maybe bad planning, maybe poverty. And Jesus comes, and this is the first of his signs. He takes six purification pots, stone pots, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. They were part of the religious rituals because the Jewish religion knew that that we stand unclean before God. And even to go into his presence, they would have these six pots and wash and rinse their hands multiple times to get the stain off. He says, fill it up to the brim. And then he says, okay, get a nice good ladle there. Take it to the master of the wedding feast. And they take it over and the water became wine. Do you see what, I mean, it's like he's saying, look, I know you guys are really sincere. You've been trying really hard, but now I'm bringing you to abundance and I'm bringing you to a wedding that will never run out of wine. It'll never run out of joy. I mean, you know, they, I mean the guests there, I'm pretty sure they didn't drink 180 gallons of wine. It gave the bride and the bridegroom a wedding gift. These things are important. And then chapter three, Nicodemus, the great scholar of of religion, comes and Jesus says, you have to be born again before you can see the kingdom of God. He's like, what does that mean? And he couldn't understand it. But then we come to this revelation that God so loved the world that he sent, he gave his son as a gift that whoever would put their trust in him, believe in him, would not perish, but would have everlasting life. He didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. So he doesn't send us in the world to condemn the world, but to save it. Open your mouths, let the light out. <laughs> but you know, to, be, to do that, we have to be full. We really have to be full, and we have to be in the right spirit and the right, and, He just wants to fill his people up. Okay, I think that's about as much as I can get to um, without just taking way too long. So why don't you stand up? Are you thirsty? 
Do you want an encounter with the love of God that is light into you, that brings order in the chaos, that frees you from despair, that frees you from pessimism, that frees you from anger and outrage and, and frustration, but begins to channel your awareness of need into thirst for him and then you get filled up with him and he is the solution and he gives you hope and he gives you brilliance, wisdom that's greater than the wisdom of the world. The foolishness of God outshines the wisdom of the world. The weakness of God is mightier than the strength of humanity and it doesn't matter if if the World Health Organization or the United Nations or those, those guys in their little club over in Davos, Switzerland, they are not determining the future of the world. The lamb who was slain is breaking the seals and he's unrolling the scroll and you can be part of it and, you can be, and you're invited to that river that flows from the throne in Genesis 22 that is clear and crystal and has nothing in it and the tree of life grows on both sides and the leaves heal the nations. Do you want hope? I'm just, how many say, God, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty, I'm thirsty, I'm thirsty. God, we're thirsty. Come and bring us into this season of encounter with you and solutions from you. Holy Spirit, would you come? Just begin to flood this place. Flood this place. We welcome what you're doing. We welcome the peace and the wisdom and the love. We pray for healing from rejection healing from hopelessness, healing from anger, healing from addictions, God. We pray for deliverance from drug addictions, from alcoholism, from tobacco addiction, from gossip addiction, from porn addiction, God. Set us free. God, we just speak freedom from the bondage of pornography that there will be absolutely no fascination or feel, or God, that you will rewrite the brain chemistry, remove the embedding habits of sin, God, the, those, those weights that entangle some and set people free from these traps of the enemy, free from the intimidation of the darkness and the confusion. Jesus' name. So I, I wanna just say this. If you, I mean, if, if you've sat here and you've been convicted of sin and you said, I, I have never decisively given my life to Jesus, made him Lord of everything. I've been compromising. I've been looking good, but I'm not good. I'm a big mess and I need to be cleansed and I need my transgressions thoroughly blotted out and obliterated so there's not a trace left. I just invite you to come up. I invite you to come up and he will meet you here and he will take care of you. I invite you, don't wait, don't be, you know, don't be worried about what anybody's going to think. Be worried about what God's gonna think. And what he thinks is he loves you. So if that's you, you can just come. You can come right now. You don't have to wait till I'm finished talking. You can come right now. In fact, it'll be good for you to come now because it'll set you free from what's been holding you back. So I'm just saying that in Jesus' name. If you're with someone and you know, hey, I know it's talking to you. I'll walk up there with you. Go ahead and do that. 
So we're just saying, come, come, come to the water. Come and be set free. Come and be delivered. In Jesus' name, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Father, thank you. Holy, holy, holy. Holy, 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 thank you. Thank you, come, 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 come. Don't be ashamed to come. <laughs> Don't be ashamed to come. You're being asked. Jesus wants to set you free from every form of bondage, every, all your confusion. He wants to set you free from sexual immorality. He wants to set you free from unclean thoughts, selfish thoughts. He wants to set you free from bondage to, you know, to wealth. Some people are, we're so worried about our money that God just says, I'll set you free and I'll prosper you. I'll set you free and I'll prosper you. Thank you, thank you. Maybe you guys could just attend to these ones who've come forward. That would be great. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, great. So, yeah, yeah, ministry team, come on up here. These folks have come here to do business with God, you know, to have something, have an encounter. Rest you, how many would just lift your hand and say, I am thirsty? Holy Spirit, you see the thirst here? If you're thirsty, just raise your hand. Maybe you're getting tired and you think, I wish this guy would be quiet, but it's like, if you're thirsty, raise your hands. Just raise one hand. It takes less effort than two hands. Now, if you've got your hand raised, I just want to invite you to come forward. And you don't have to, but it's like, if your thirst is great enough to get you out of your seat, get you into something that's a response, it's like God actually works with that. He, he likes it, it makes him happy. He's saying, come to the waters. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Holy, holy, holy. Holy, 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 holy. Oh, we worship you, God. We worship you. Could we, let's, let's pray something together. Lord Jesus Christ, I believe that you are God Almighty, that you became human that you went to the cross as the Lamb of God and you paid for all the sins of the world. I, get, I just ask you to forgive me from my sins and to wash me and cleanse me and fill me with new life. In Jesus, you are the King. You are the Lord of the universe. I pray in your name. I ask you, Lord, to fill me with the Holy Spirit and with power to activate in me the full potential for communion with you 
encounter with you day after day. I pray this in this precious name. Jesus.